Thanks, uh, Soph and Joey, for reading. If you have a Bible, please keep it there in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, But how about we pray again and ask God for help? Uh, Lord, uh, your word, uh, the Bible, is yours. And so we need your help to understand it. Uh, Please, Lord, challenge and encourage and comfort uh, where that is needed. And please, Lord, help us see this world and ourselves uh, as you see things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I, I mean, I've been speaking to a few of you, and I don't know that any of you would call yourself Taylor Swift fans uh, or Swifties, uh, the, you know, the people who hand out the friendship bracelets uh, at her concerts. Uh, and if you, for some reason you have no idea who Taylor Swift is, people are flocking to see her in Sydney this weekend uh, and Melbourne last weekend. And without really trying to discover anything about Taylor Swift, I know that this week just gone, she visited the Sydney Zoo, uh, that she's been staying in Sydney's Crown Towers and apparently she had her private jet flown back to the US to pick up her NFL star boyfriend that he might fly down under and visit her while she's on tour here in Australia. Taylor Swift and that whole brand is a big deal. Uh, It's remarkable how devoted some of her fans really are. Uh, A genuine fan, if if you can't get a ticket to the concert, people are gathering around the edges of the stadium just to take in a bit of the atmosphere. Uh, Someone was saying that within her song lyrics, there's even code uh, for the super devoted fan to decipher. Not sure if that's true, uh, but if so, that that is next level, isn't it? And and while some might argue that many regional Queenslanders are so laid back, we're not particularly devoted to anything, this afternoon... As we continue in Matthew's Gospel, the question isn't around our devotion to Taylor Swift, obviously, but as we begin to consider the importance of the Lord Jesus' death, our text helps us to reflect on that question, how devoted to Jesus are you? How devoted to Jesus are you? Uh, Are we? Or more specifically, how important is the death of Jesus. J.C. Ryle, an old English bishop, he said, we can never attach too much importance to the atoning death of Christ. It's the leading fact in the word of God on which the eyes of our souls ought to be ever fixed. Uh, As we kind of enter this last section of Matthew's gospel, uh, having been, uh, Jesus having been talking about his second coming, that, that day of judgment, the great day of accountability when he will return in glory with the application, be ready, we now shift to a narrative section of Matthew's gospel. Uh, the transition is verse 1 and 2. Just look at verse 1 if your Bible's there. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples. Whenever we read that phrase in Matthew's gospel, it marks a transition. There's five big sections in Matthew, and this is the beginning of the last one. Uh, Look at verse two. He said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away. 
and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. If you've been reading Matthew's Gospel lately, you may know this is actually the fourth time in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus has predicted his death. When he dies, it doesn't come as a surprise. It was the plan from the beginning. It's a huge contrast though, isn't it? Jesus will come in judgment. We've been looking at this for four weeks if you've been coming along the last uh, month. But here with the Passover, judgment will be on him. Uh, The Passover is that annual celebration where the Jews remembered their rescue from slavery in Egypt. More specifically, the Passover remembers that final uh, plague before the Exodus, which was read for us, where the angel of the Lord passes over the houses that have been covered in the blood of the lamb with the doorposts painted. But the houses without the blood of the lamb, the firstborn sons were killed. Now, as we look back on that, we might cringe. But you remember the story of the Bible is one of we're all deserving of God's judgment. There is no one righteous, not even one. The the position of humanity is that we have all rejected God's loving leadership for us. And so what's surprising is that he hasn't already wiped us all out. The irony of Jesus' death at Passover is that God does not pass over his own firstborn eternal son, Jesus himself is the Lamb of God who knowingly, willingly dies for the sins of the world. Uh, We want to know uh, what on earth is going on with Jesus' death on that cross. Well, the Passover festival is the interpretive key, and we'll think more about that next week. Just notice with me, though, how big a call it is in verse 2 for Jesus to claim that he'll be crucified on Passover. It's one thing to say, isn't it? I'm going to be handed over and I'll be murdered or even I'll be crucified. But it's quite another thing to, to specifically nail down the date, especially when we read verses 3 to 5. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Verse 5, but not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. Uh, During summer here, Bagara swells. All the the visitors pour in. Uh, During a a Taylor Swift concert, Sydney swells. During Passover, Jerusalem would swell, apparently uh, maybe five-fold. At this time, a spark might set off an explosion, the religious leaders worry, to kill Jesus during the festival. It's too risky. Not during the festival, they say. But Jesus says, I'll be handed over and crucified during the festival. Do do you see who's in charge of of this course of events? Um, I, like a number of you, I suppose, grew up eating sandwiches. Uh, I'd go to school uh, five days a week, uh, and it was honey sandwiches for lunch at school. Not white bread, multi-grain. Multi-grain bread with... Uh, 
honey week after week. On the weekends, it was toasted sandwiches, though, uh, and it was sometimes white bread with bigger tasty uh, in between. Uh, Just the last couple of years, I've been getting back into the Sanger. Uh, The contents, though, is really the focus of the sandwich, isn't it? The, The bread, it's less important The contents is key. For me at the moment, it's ham, cheese, sometimes salami, tomatoes, tomato relish. We've got this beautiful uh, tomato relish and always mayonnaise. There's a sandwich in this passage this afternoon. I don't know if you've picked that up as it was read. This is the structure of the passage. There's two outer pieces, the bread, and then there's the, the contents. The first outer piece is that verses three to five, the religious leaders who are plotting to kill Jesus, how devoted are they to him? But what does Jesus' death mean to them? Well, they just want to get rid of him, don't they? He threatens their political position and power. Uh, that's the first piece of bread. The other outer piece, uh, verses four to 16, Je- Judas, the, one of the 12, uh, he seeks to betray betray Jesus to those religious leaders? How devoted is he to Jesus? What does Jesus' death mean to Judas? Well, it's a bit of coin, isn't it? 30 pieces of of silver we read, which for the sake of interest was the price an Old Testament Israelite was to pay if their bull killed someone's slave. In any case, it's not big money. They're the two outer pieces, the bread. But what sits in the middle of this sandwich, verse 6 to 13. What sits in the middle is what counts, isn't it? This is what devotion to Jesus should look like. This is the significance of his death on that cross. So they're in Bethany. uh, And it's the house of Simon the leper that they're, they're visiting. We assume Simon has been healed from leprosy or they'd be breaking the Old Testament law by being there. Uh, either way, whether they're breaking the law or not, either way, the setting's a great contrast, wouldn't you say, to the religious leaders who are scheming in the high priest's palace. They're at Simon the lepers. And the woman from John's version of this account, we know she's named Mary. Likely Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Lazarus, whom Jesus rose from the dead. Mary tips that expensive perfume on Jesus' head as he's reclining at the table. You picture it dripping down off his beard, I I suppose, and the aroma fills the room, we know again from John's Gospel. Uh, And in John's version of this account, we're told the perfume is worth a year's wages. It's a lot of money to just pour out in one go, isn't it? In their culture, if a guest came around for a meal, oil would be provided to be put on their head. Uh, But as Morris, a Bible commentator, says that the use of costly perfume rather than cheap oil that would be commonly used is a mark of devotion. Mary isn't treating Jesus as though he's a, a casual guest. Kings were anointed with oil. Messiah means anointed One, maybe she's expressing her devotion, her conviction that Jesus is the long-awaited king, that Jesus is her king. 
Whatever's going on for Mary in this moment, verses 8 and 9 are striking, aren't they? The disciples question, why the waste? What a waste. All that money just poured out like that. We could have flogged it off and used the money to care for the poor. But instead of nodding along with them or even keeping quiet, Jesus pushes back with four points. The first is in verse 10. I love this one. What does he say? He says, it's a beautiful act. Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing. Liberally, not half-hearted giving, no casual commitment, no ridiculous religious tipping of the hat to Jesus, but a heart filled with gratitude, nothing too great to lavish on her saviour. This is a beautiful thing, says Jesus. It's a unique act, he says in verse 11. You're always going to have the poor with you. You won't always have me. The, the, The woman, Mary, she signals this momentous moment that's about to happen. This massive moment in history. This unique time. The God, man, Jesus Christ is there with them. He's been healing and teaching with authority. And now he's going to the cross. The Bible is clear where to look after the poor, aren't we? And we can do that better than what we do. But, but if there is a moment where the poor can wait, surely it is as Jesus is going to the cross right there and then. Doug O'Donnell, he says, our unnamed woman demonstrates that radical commitment. She shows the church that Jesus must be first. Above money, above mother, above the home, even the homeless, Jesus first and everyone and everything else second. And Jesus says this is a prophetic act, verse 12. The ointment was used for burial in their culture. The body was wrapped up in those clothes and then it was soaked in perfume. Jesus died a criminal's death uh, and so he would have likely missed out on that treatment apart from this woman's act. Now we don't know if she realises the significance of what she's done but Jesus joins the dots. She's anointing me because I'm going to my death. A beautiful act, a unique act, a prophetic act and, and fourthly, well this is a precious This precious act will be famous. I wonder, what is the most precious thing to you? Uh, You can kind of tell by how you live life. What what is most precious to you? You you reflect on your life and it'll show it. A house, a car, your children, your grandchildren, sex, comfort, What's the most precious thing to you? The the precious death of Jesus is worth more than all of it. Look at verse 13. Truly, says Jesus, truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. You notice here Jesus is already assuming that the gospel, the news of Jesus, will be preached throughout the whole world. 
He points through the the dark days of his atoning death to the Great Commission, the end of Matthew's Gospel, our, our great memory verse at youth group. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. The end of Matthew's Gospel, where the risen Jesus sends his church to make his lordship known. I don't reckon these early disciples would have imagined the scope of the gospel spread all over the world. Have you noticed sometimes we can worry that Christianity, you know, can seem in the minority. People in our culture are finding it hard to believe that there's a God It's said we're living in a post-Christian world. But the gospel continues to spread throughout this world. Numbers don't say everything, but apparently by 2060, Christianity will still be the largest global belief system. I can't imagine those early disciples were thinking that way. And that last bit of verse 13, it's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? That, that, that this most precious thing, the gospel, the lordship of Jesus, is preached throughout the entire world. As this is happening, this woman, unnamed in Matthew, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. J.C. Ryle, that old bishop, he says, this prophecy of Jesus' about this woman is receiving fulfilment every day before our eyes. Wherever the gospel is read, Her action is known. He says the deeds and titles of many a king and emperor and general are as completely forgotten as if written in the sand. But the grateful act of one humble Christian woman is recounted in thousands of different languages and is known all over the globe. That's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, this is the meat of the sandwich, the, 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 the centre, the middle part, however you stack your sandwiches. It's a beautiful act of devotion, isn't it? An extravagant expression of love for her loving saviour. And you and I, we can make Matthew's gospel a discipleship manual. Her passion here, it's to be ours. Where to love Jesus above all else, be devoted to him above all. The, the, the religious leaders, they wanted to hang on to their power and position. Judas wanted some you know, quick cash. Maybe he, he couldn't handle Jesus' rebuke when the, he and the others had gotten it wrong, having a go at the woman with the perfume. Um, Archbishop William Temple, he once compared For him, it was British society to a shop window in which the price tags had all been rearranged. Uh, You imagine this. Someone goes into this this shop. Everything's switched around. Uh, Think of the carnage. Things of no worth are priced dear. Things of great value, they're just counted as dirt. And you know, this is the world that we live in. On on this Christopher Ashe, he says the idol sells itself as dear. Whether it be career success or sexual fulfilment 
popularity or self-esteem. It says I'm valuable and worth a big investment of my energies. And it demands big investment. Idols don't come cheap, but idols are empty. He continues, if I bow down to emptiness, then I myself become empty. The worship of idols is the most successful form of weight loss in the world. I worship until I just fade away. I may be physically obese while being spiritually weightless. This is the, the bread of the sandwich, isn't it? Those religious leaders. It's Judas too, bowing down to money and power position, bowing down to that which is empty, the regional Queenslander, bowing down for comfort and, and ease and easygoing life. If I bow down to emptiness, then I myself will become empty. So you ask, have you been bowing down to emptiness? Maybe in some way or another you've been dabbling there. What's most precious to you? What's most precious to you? Regional Queenslanders, yeah, laid back, but I'm not devoted to so much. Well, the disciple of Jesus... Our devotion is to him, to the king, the king who came to die at Passover, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, the lamb of God who takes away the the sin of the world, a God who so loved us that instead of wiping us out way back when, instead he was prepared to die the death we deserve in our place. So you go home and you think, you write this down, well, how devoted am I to Jesus? How we live is the indicator. Uh, As we continue uh, looking at what's known as this passion narrative, uh, someone said that uh, Matthew's gospel is is a long introduction uh, and then the passion narrative. Uh, As we look at this over the coming weeks, I hope that, that we will see that Jesus' death, the cross of Christ, is worth centering absolutely everything around. Why don't we pray for God's help with that? Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we, we just pause now and we want to recognise that we are a people who do have a tendency to bow down to emptiness. Uh, that we live in a world where the price tags are mismatched, mixed around, and that we can put great value on things that are of very little value. Lord, forgive us for this, we pray. And we pray that you would help us see the wonder of our Saviour. Lord God, help us be like Uh, that unnamed woman uh, in Matthew's Gospel, Mary. Help us know how great your love for us is in Jesus, that we might pour out our love in response. Help us know your love so that we might respond in love. And Lord, help us live lives devoted to you, a great God, we want to pray as well as we do live in a world where lots of people wonder, is there a God?
We pray, Lord, that they would be unsettled in this belief. And we pray that by your spirit, you would be moving people to want to know you. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us as you send your church into the world to proclaim the gospel, that you would help us give ourselves to this task for your glory too. And we pray all of this, Lord, for your glory and uh, we pray that you would help us in the name of Jesus. Amen.